Section 16 of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Natter. The World's Story, Volume 12. The United States. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 16. The Storming of the Sky City, 1599. By Charles F. Lummis some of the most characteristic heroisms and hardships of the pioneers in our domain cluster about the wondrous rock of acoma the strange sky city of the queres pueblos all the pueblo cities were built in positions which nature herself had fortified a necessity of the times since they were surrounded by outnumbering hordes of the deadliest warriors in history but acoma was most secure of all in the midst of a long valley four miles wide itself lined by almost insurmountable precipices towers a lofty rock whose top is about seventy acres in area and whose walls three hundred and fifty-seven feet high are not merely perpendicular but in most places even overhanging upon its summit was perched and is to-day the dizzy city of the keres the few paths to the top whereupon a misstep will roll the victim to horrible death hundreds of feet below are by wild precipitous clefts at the head of which one determined man with no other weapons than stones could almost hold at bay an army this strange aerial town was first heard of by europeans in fifteen thirty nine when fray marcos the discoverer of new mexico was told by the people of cibola of the great rock fortress of Hakuque their name for acoma which the natives themselves called aco in the following year coronado visited it with his little army and has left us an accurate account of its wonders these first europeans were well received there and the superstitious natives who had never seen a beard or a white face before took the strangers for gods but it was more than half a century later yet before the spaniards sought a foothold there when oñate entered new mexico in fifteen ninety eight he met no immediate resistance whatever for his force of four hundred people including two hundred men at arms was large enough to awe the indians they were naturally hostile to these invaders of their domain but finding themselves well treated by the strangers and fearful of open war against these men with hard clothes who killed from afar with their thunder sticks the pueblos awaited results the Queres, Tigua, and Jemez branches formally submitted to Spanish rule and took the oath of allegiance to the crown by their representative men gathered at the Pueblo of Guipuy, now Santo Domingo, as also did the Tanos, Picuries, Tehuas, and Taos at a similar conference at the Pueblo of San Juan in September 1598. At this ready submission, Oñate was greatly encouraged and he decided to visit all the principal pueblos in person to make them securer subjects of his sovereign he had founded already the first town in new mexico and the second in the united states san gabriel de los españoles where chamita stands to-day before starting on this perilous journey he dispatched juan de saldivar his maestro de campo note, equivalent to our colonel end note, with fifty men to explore the vast unknown plains to the east and then to follow him oñate and a small force left the lonely little spanish colony more than a thousand miles from any other town of civilized men october the sixth fifteen ninety eight first he marched to the pueblos in the great plains of the salt lakes east of the manzano mountains a thirsty journey of more than two hundred miles 
then returning to the pueblo of puaray opposite the present bernalillo he turned westward on the twenty seventh of the same month he camped at the foot of the lofty cliffs of acoma the principales chief men of the town came down from the rock and took the solemn pledge of allegiance to the spanish crown they were thoroughly warned of the deep importance and meaning of this step and that if they violated their oath they would be regarded and treated as rebels against his majesty but they fully pledged themselves to be faithful vassals they were very friendly and repeatedly invited the spanish commander and his men to visit their sky city in truth they had had spies at the conferences in santo domingo and san juan and had decided that the most dangerous man among the invaders was oñate himself if he could be slain they thought the rest of the pale strangers might be easily routed but oñate knew nothing of their intended treachery and on the following day he and his handful of men leaving only a guard with the horses climbed one of the breathless stone ladders and stood in a coma the officious indians piloted them hither and yon showing them the strange terraced houses of many stories in height the great reservoirs in the eternal rock and the dizzy brink which everywhere surrounded the yerry of a town at last they brought the spaniards to where a huge ladder projecting far aloft through a trapdoor in the roof of a large house indicated the estufa or sacred council chamber the visitors mounted to the roof by a small ladder and the indians tried to have oñate descend through the trapdoor but the spanish governor noting that all was dark in the room below and suddenly becoming suspicious declined to enter and as his soldiers were all about the indians did not insist after a short visit in the pueblo the spaniards descended the rock to their camps and thence marched away on their long and dangerous journey to moki and suni that swift flash of prudence in oñate's mind saved the history of new mexico for in that dark estufa was lying a band of armed warriors had he entered the room he would have been slain at once and his death was to be the signal for a general onslaught upon the spaniards all of whom must have perished in the unequal fight returning from his march of exploration through the trackless and deadly plains juan de saltivar left san gabriel on the eighteenth of november to follow his commander-in-chief he had but thirty men reaching the foot of the city in the sky on the fourth of december he was very kindly received by the acomas who invited him up into their town juan was a good soldier as well as a gallant one and well used to the tricks of indian warfare but for the first time in his life and the last he now let himself be deceived leaving half his little force at the foot of the cliff to guard the camp and horses he himself went up the sixteen men the town was so full of wonders the people so cordial that the visitors soon forgot whatever suspicion they may have had and by degrees they scattered hither and yon to see the strange sights the natives had been waiting only for this and when the war-chief gave the wild whoop men women and children seized rocks and clubs bows and flint knives and fell furiously upon the scattered spaniards it was a ghastly and an unequal fight the winter sun looked down upon that bitter afternoon in the cliff city here and there with back against the wall of one of these strange houses stood a grey-faced tattered bleeding soldier swinging his clumsy flintlock club-like and hacking with desperate but unavailing sword at the dark ravenous mob that hemmed him while stones rained upon his bent visor and clubs and cruel flints sought him from every side there was no coward blood among that doomed band 
they sold their lives dearly in front of everyone lay a sprawling heap of dead but one by one the howling wave of barbarians drowned each grim silent fighter and swept off to swell the murderous flood about the next saldivar himself was one of the first victims and two other officers six soldiers and two servants fell in that uneven combat the five survivors juan tavaro who was alguacil mayor with four soldiers got at last together and with superhuman strength fought their way to the edge of the cliff bleeding from many wounds but their savage foes still pressed them and being too faint to carve their way to one of the ladders in the wildness of desperation the five sprang over the beetling cliff never but once was recorded so frightful a leap as that of tavaro and his four companions even if we presume that they had been so fortunate as to reach the very lowest point of the rock it could not have been less than one hundred and fifty feet and yet only one of the five was killed by this inconceivable fall the remaining four cared for by their terrified companions in the camp all finally recovered it would be incredible were it not established by absolute historical proof it is probable that they fell upon one of the mounds of white sand which the winds had drifted against the foot of the cliff in places fortunately the victorious savages did not attack the little camp the survivors still had their horses of which unknown brutes the indians had a great fear for several days the fourteen soldiers and their four half-dead companions camped under the overhanging cliff where they were safe from missiles from above hourly expecting an onslaught from the savages they felt sure that this massacre of their comrades was but the prelude to a general uprising of the twenty-five or thirty thousand pueblos and regardless of the danger to themselves they decided at last to break up into little bands and separate some to follow their commander on his lonely march to moki and warn him of his danger and others to hasten over the hundreds of arid miles to san gabriel and the defence of its women and babies and to the missionaries who had scattered among the savages this plan of self-devotion was successfully carried out the little bands of three and four apiece bore the news to their countrymen and by the end of the year fifteen ninety eight all the surviving spaniards in new mexico were safely gathered in the hamlet of san gabriel the little town was built pueblo fashion in the shape of a hollow square in the plaza within were planted the rude pedreros small howitzers which fired a ball of stone to command the gates and upon the roofs of the three-story adobe houses the brave men watched by day and the men with their heavy flintlocks all through the winter nights to guard against the expected attack but the pueblos rested on their arms they were waiting to see what oñate would do with acoma before they took final measures against the strangers it was a most serious dilemma in which oñate now found himself one need not have known half so much about the indian character as did this grey quiet spaniard to understand that he must signally punish the rebels for the massacre of his men or abandon his colony and new mexico altogether if such an outrage went unpunished the emboldened pueblos would destroy the last spaniard on the other hand how could he hope to conquer that impregnable fortress of rock he had less than two hundred men and only a small part of these could be spared for the campaign lest the other pueblos in their absence should rise and annihilate san gabriel and its people in acoma there were full three hundred warriors reinforced by at least a hundred navajo braves but there was no alternative 
The more he reflected and counselled with his officers, the more apparent it became that the only salvation was to capture the Keres Gibraltar, and the plan was decided upon. Oñate naturally desired to lead in person this forlornest of forlorn hopes, but there was one who had even a better claim to the desperate honour than the captain-general, and that one was the forgotten hero Vicente de Salvidar, brother of the murdered Juan. He was Sargento Mayor of the little army, and when he came to Oñate and begged to be given the command of the expedition against Acoma, there was no saying him nay. On the 12th of January, 1599, Vicente de Zaldivar left San Gabriel at the head of seventy men. Only a few of them had even the clumsy flintlocks of the day. The majority were not arquebusiers, but piquiers, armed only with swords and lances, and clad in jackets of quilted cotton or buttered mail. One small pedrero lashed upon the back of a horse was the only artillery. Silently and sternly the little force made its arduous march. All knew that impregnable rock, and few cherished an expectation of returning from so desperate a mission, but there was no thought of turning back. On the afternoon of the eleventh day, the tired soldiers passed the last intervening mesa and came in sight of Acoma. The Indians, warned by their runners, were ready to receive them. The whole population, with the Navajo allies, were under arms, on the housetops and the commanding cliffs. Naked savages, painted black, leaped from crack to crack, screeching defiance and heaping insults upon the Spaniards. The medicine men, hideously disguised, stood on projecting pinnacles, beating their drums and scattering curses and incantations to the winds, and all the populace joined in derisive howls and taunts. Saldivar halted his little band as close to the foot of the cliff as he could without danger. The indispensable notary stepped from the ranks and, at the blast of the trumpet, proceeded to read at the top of his lungs the formal summons in the name of the King of Spain to surrender. Thrice he shouted through the summons, but each time his voice was drowned by the howls and shrieks of the enraged savages, and a hail of stones and arrows fell dangerously near. Saldivar had desired to secure the surrender of the Pueblo, demand the delivery to him of the ringleaders in the massacre, and take them back with him to San Gabriel for official trial and punishment, without harm to the other people of Acoma. But the savages, secure in their grim fortress, mocked the merciful appeal. It was clear that Acoma must be stormed. The Spaniards camped on the bare sands and passed the night, made hideous by the sounds of a monster wardens in the town, in gloomy plans for the morrow. At daybreak, on the morning of January 22nd, Saldivar gave the signal for the attack, and the main body of the Spaniards began firing their few arquebuses and making a desperate assault at the north end of the great rock, there absolutely impregnable. The Indians, crowded along the cliffs above, poured down a rain of missiles, and many of the Spaniards were wounded. Meanwhile, twelve picked men, who had hidden during the night under the overhanging cliff, which protected them alike from the fire and from the observation of the Indians, were crawling stealthily around the precipice, dragging the pedrero by ropes. Most of these twelve were arquebusiers, and besides the weight of the ridiculous little cannon, they had their ponderous flintlocks and their clumsy armor, poor helps for scaling heights which the unencumbered athlete finds difficult. Pursuing their toilsome way unobserved, pulling one another and then the pedrero up the ledges they reached at last the top of a great outlying pinnacle of rock 
separated from the main cliff of Acoma by a narrow but awful chasm. Late in the afternoon they had their howitzer trained upon the town, and the loud report as its cobblestone ball fell into Acoma signalled the main body at the north end of the mesa that the first vantage ground had been safely gained, and at the same time warned the savages of danger from a new quarter. That night little squads of Spaniards climbed the great precipices, which walled a trough-like valley on east and west, cut down small pines, and with infinite labor dragged the logs down the cliffs across the valley and up the butte on which the twelve were stationed. About a score of men were left to guard the horses at the north end of the mesa, and the rest of the force joined the twelve, hiding behind the cracks of their rock tower. Across the chasm the Indians were lying in crevices or behind rocks, awaiting the attack. At daybreak of the 23rd, a squad of picked men at a given signal rushed from their hiding places with a log on their shoulders and by a lucky cast lodged its farther end on the opposite brink of the abyss. Out dashed the Spaniards at their heels and began balancing across that dizzy bridge in the face of a volley of stones and arrows. A very few had crossed when one in his excitement caught the rope and pulled the log across after him. It was a fearful moment. There were less than a dozen Spaniards thus left standing alone on the brink of a coma, cut off from their companions by a gulf hundreds of feet deep, and surrounded by swarming savages. The Indians, sallying from their refuge, fell instantly upon them on every hand. As long as the Spanish soldier could keep the Indians at a distance, even his clumsy firearms and inefficient armor gave an advantage but at such close quarters these very things were a fatal impediment by their weight and clumsiness now it seemed as if the previous acoma massacre were to be repeated and the cut of spaniards to be hacked to pieces but at this very crisis a deed of surpassing personal valor saved them and the cause of spain in new mexico a slender bright-faced young officer a college boy who was a special friend and favorite of Oñate sprang from the crowd of dismayed Spaniards on the farther bank, who dared not fire into that indiscriminate jostle of friend and foe, and came running like a deer toward the chasm. As he reached its brink, his lithe body gathered itself, sprang into the air like a bird, and cleared the gulf. Seizing the log, he thrust it back with desperate strength until his companions could grasp it from the farther brink, and over the restored bridge the Spanish soldiers poured to retrieve the day. Then began one of the most fearful hand-to-hand -hand struggles in all American history. Outnumbered nearly ten to one, lost in a howling mob of savages who fought with the frenzy of despair, gashed with raw-edged knives, dazed with crushing clubs, pierced with bristling arrows, spent and faint and bleeding, Saldivar and his hero handful fought their way inch by inch, step by step, clubbing their heavy guns, hewing with their short swords, parrying deadly blows, pulling the barbed arrows from their quivering flesh. On, on, on they pressed, shouting the gallant war-cry of Santiago, driving the stubborn foe before them by still more stubborn valor, until at last the Indians, fully convinced that these were no human foes, fled to the refuge of their fort-like houses, and there was room for the reeling Spaniards to draw breath. Then, thrice again, the summons to surrender was duly read before the strange tenements, each near a thousand feet long and looking like a flight of gigantic steps carved from one rock. 
Saldivar even now wished to spare unnecessary bloodshed, and demanded only that the assassins of his brother and countrymen should be given up for punishment. All others who should surrender and become subjects of our lord the king should be well treated. But the dogged Indians, like wounded wolves in their den, stuck in their barricaded houses and refused all terms of peace. The rock was captured, but the town remained. A pueblo is a fortress in itself, and now Saldivar had to storm Acoma house by house and room by room. The little Pedrero was dragged in front of the first row of houses, and soon began to deliver its slow fire. As the adobe houses crumbled under the steady battering of the stone cannonballs, they only formed great barricades of clay, which even our modern artillery would not pierce, and each had to be carried separately at the point of the sword. Some of the fallen houses caught fire from their own fogones, note, fireplaces, end note and soon a stifling smoke hung over the town from which issued the shrieks of women and babies and the defiant yells of the warriors the humane saldivar made every effort to save the women and children at great risk of self but numbers perished beneath the falling walls of their own houses this fearful storming lasted until noon of january twenty fourth now and then bands of warriors made sorties and tried to cut their way through the spanish line many sprang in desperation over the cliff and were dashed to pieces at its foot and two indians who made that incredible leap survived it as miraculously as had the four spaniards in the earlier massacre and made their escape at last at noon of the third day the old men came forth to sue for mercy which was at once granted the moment they surrendered their rebellion was forgotten and their treachery forgiven there was no need for further punishment the ringleaders in the murder of Saldivar brother were all dead, and so were nearly all the Navajo allies. It was the most bloody struggle New Mexico ever saw. In this three days' fight, the Indians lost five hundred slain and many wounded, and of the surviving Spaniards, not one but bore to his grave many a ghastly scar as mementos of Acoma. The town was so nearly destroyed that it had all to be rebuilt, and the infinite labor with which the patient people had brought up that cliff on their backs all the stones and timber and clay to build a many-storied town for nearly a thousand souls was all to be repeated. Their crops, too, and all other supplies stored in dark little rooms of the terraced houses had been destroyed, and they were in sore want. Truly a bitter punishment had been sent them by those above for their treachery to Juan de Saldivar. When his men had sufficiently recovered from their wounds, Vicente de Saldivar, the leader of probably the most wonderful capture in history, marched victorious back to San Gabriel de los Españoles, taking with him eighty young Acoma girls, whom he sent to be educated by the nuns in old Mexico. What a shout must have gone up from the grey walls of the little colony when its anxious watchers saw at last the one and unexpected tatters of its little army prickling slowly homeward across the snows on jaded steeds. The rest of the pueblos, who had been lying demure as cats, with claws sheathed, but with every life muscle ready to spring, were fairly paralyzed with awe. They had looked to see the Spaniards defeated, if not crushed, at Acoma, and then a swift rising of all the tribes would have made short work of the remaining invaders. But now the impossible had happened. Aco, the proud city of the Keres, Aco, the cliff-girt and impregnable, 
had fallen before the pale strangers its brave warriors had come to naught its strong houses were a chaos of smoking ruins its wealth was gone its people nearly wiped from off the earth what use to struggle against such men of power these strange wizards who must be precious to those above else they never could have such human prowess the strong sinews relaxed and the great cat began to purr as though she had never dreamed of mousing there was no more thought of a rebellion against the spaniards and the indians even went out of their way to court the favour of these awesome strangers they brought oñate the news of the fall of acoma several days before saldivar and his heroes got back to the little colony and even were mean enough to deliver to him two careless refugees from that dread field who had sought shelter among them thenceforth governor oñate had no more troubles with the pueblos but acoma itself seemed to take the lesson to heart less than any of them too crushed and broken to think of further war with its invincible foes it still remained bitterly hostile to the spaniards for full thirty years until it was again conquered by a heroism as splendid as saldivar's though in a far different way in sixteen twenty nine fray juan ramirez the apostle of acoma left santa fe alone to found a mission in that lofty home of fierce barbarians an escort of soldiers was offered him but he declined it and started unaccompanied and on foot with no other weapon than his crucifix trampling his footsore and dangerous way he came after many days to the foot of the great island of rock and began the ascent as soon as the savages saw a stranger of the hated people they rallied to the brink of the cliff and poured down a great flight of arrows some of which pierced his robes just then a little girl of acoma who was standing on the edge of the cliff grew frightened at the wild actions of her people and losing her balance tumbled over the precipice by a strange providence she fell but a few yards and landed on a sandy ledge near the fray but out of sight of her people who presumed that she had fallen the whole height of the cliff fray juan climbed to her and carried her unhurt to the top of the rock and seeing this apparent miracle the savages were disarmed and received him as a good wizard the good man dwelt alone there in acoma for more than twenty years loved by the natives as a father and teaching his swarthy converts so successfully that in time many knew their catechism and could read and write in spanish besides under his direction they built a large church with enormous labor when he died in sixteen sixty four the acomas from being the fiercest indians had become the gentlest in new mexico and were among the farthest advanced in civilization but a few years after his death came the uprising of all the pueblos and in the long and disastrous wars which followed the church was destroyed and the fruits of the brave fray's work largely disappeared in that rebellion fray lucas maldonado who was then the missionary to acoma was butchered by his flock on the tenth or eleventh of august sixteen eighty in november sixteen ninety two acoma voluntarily surrendered to the reconqueror of new mexico diego de vargas within a few days however it rebelled again and in august sixteen ninety six vargas marched against it but was unable to storm the rock but by degrees the pueblos grew to lasting peace with the humane conquerors and to merit the kindness which was steadily proffered them the mission at acoma was re-established about the year seventeen hundred 
and there stands to-day a huge church which was one of the most interesting in the world by reason of the infinite labour and patience which built it the last attempt at a pueblo uprising was in eighteen twenty eight but acoma was not implicated in it at all the strange stone stairway by which fray juan ramirez climbed first to his dangerous parish in the teeth of a storm of arrows is used by the people of acoma to this day and is still called by them el camino del padre the path of the father End of section sixteen. this recording is in the public domain